Hey guys, welcome to another episode of Cape Town, a superhero podcast about superhero things. My name is Tyler Huckabee. I'm Chris Youngblood. And I'm Ryan Ham. And Hannah Mazel is out this week. She is, what she said, she said she was folding underwear this week. She was, truly, she <laughs> was folding Hannah's excuses that she's <laughs> yeah, folding underwear. He's actually not joking. That was her reason. (laughs) Maybe it's not funny. We're laughing about it. Maybe it was a super serious situation. But in any case, she will not be here with us this week to discuss Jessica Jones. That's too bad because it means we have three guys to discuss uh, what is probably Marvel's most uh, explicitly feminist show to date. So we'll we'll tread very lightly here and we look forward to all of your positive feedback when we're done. <laughs> this is also going to be our pizza podcast because I, I think there's at least one pizza being ordered in Nashville where Chris and I are at. And Ryan, you're not ordering a pizza. No, I don't have any pizza. I do have whiskey though. So this podcast should go swimmingly. By the way, uh, don't drink if you're under 21. There we go. Are we going to start doing our sign-ups with like little like Ryan says, like (laughs) advice to the kids? I don't want the FCC after me. (laughs) What is the rule about that? Because sometimes when you go to like a website, like if you go to Budweiser.com, you have to certify that you're over 21 before they even let you look at the web page. You go to Budweiser.com. I like the idea of you consistently going to Budweiser.com. I, so so I want some branded Bud. I want some branded Bud gear. Sue me. I live in Tennessee. I want my Anheuser-Busch like, tank top and some cowboy boots. I just want to fit in around here. Um, people don't like me. You. But in any case, you have to be over 21 to look at it, which I am. So it worked out. I just don't know what the laws are surrounding stuff like that or why – you would need to be over 21 to look at branded Budweiser merchandise. If you're not 21, it will lure you in and then you get drunk and die. So <laughs> maybe oh we gosh. should start making. <laughs> I know we're starting this on a high note. <laughs> Ryan says it's taking a dark turn already <laughs> out of the gate. Hannah's, Hannah's not here for one week and there's just still no <laughs> Maybe we should start doing a 21 and up thing for our podcast so for no reason. Ooh. We do talk about booze on the podcast sometimes. Hey, kids. Cape Town after dark. Kids, this is a very special episode of Cape Town. I'd advise you to go get a friend or parent or guardian so you can listen, they can listen to this with you and you can discuss some of the important issues we'll be talking about. Yeah. We're here to talk about some comic book news this week before we get to Jessica Jones. Ryan, what do you got? Something kind of interesting that's... Uh, been in the news for a while but kind of cropped up again over the last few weeks um fans of guardians of the galaxy have known for a while that there's james gunn has teased that there's an easter egg in guardians of the galaxy one no one ever knew if it was for sure found or not periodically a website would crop up saying like oh maybe this is what he was talking about maybe it's been found and then he would periodically chime in and basically say like no no one's found it yet so in late january he actually tweeted that still no one has found the Easter egg in volume one. And there's also an Easter egg in volume two that no one has found. And apparently they're the same thing or related. So it's, I have no idea what those things would be. Um, I think someone tried to guess it was the soul stone. Cause that's been yeah. a big uh, topic of conversation. Cause we haven't seen the soul stone yet from the infinity stone set. Um, but he said that wasn't it. So um your guess is as good as mine. Um, it'll probably with James Gunn, who knows what it is. Um, it could be, maybe it's the monster from Slither that is <laughs> making an appearance or something. He said in his most recent tweet that, um, a, he's very surprised that nobody has found it yet. And that B it's like an actual part of the movie. It's not some like thing that's off to the side or in the background, that it is there. It's part of the story, which really throws me for a loop. It makes me also kind of disappointed that I haven't found it yet. But yeah, I don't know what it could be. So I don't know if you guys have actually seen this, but uh, there was a theory going around that relates to Infinity War. Have either of you seen uh-uh, it? Uh-uh, no. I don't know how like spoilery this would be. But so when the Guardians are actually talking with the Collector and they take uh, the Power Stone to him and he's giving them kind of the mythology around the Power Stone, there are these uh, screens that just like go all around them. hologram yeah, type yeah, things. Yeah. yeah. And something that we haven't really touched on, and I don't, I don't know how 
much like the movies have actually touched on it are the, the celestials of the Marvel universe. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're mainly in the cosmic uh, universe, but so you have the one where the celestial has this, uh, the power stone in his staff, he bangs it on the ground and it destroys like this entire yeah, planet. Yeah. So you have that. And off to the side on the left side of your screen, as you're watching it, there's this purple figure that is uh, screaming in agony. And the thought is that is actually Thanos's home planet of Titan that the celestial destroyed, which is what sets him on this like path to collect all the infinity stones. (laughs) <laughs> if, you, if you if you just come here to like listen to it like you're like looking to get into comic books like oh maybe this will be a like easy breeze like easy way for me to get into yeah. it we're already like we lost it because yeah, that sorry. was a lot of the, i mean that would be a deep cut that would be very I, difficult to i'm really i'm really excited chris to see is if our, that chris, is, our like, chris is such a nerd <laughs> <laughs> i'm on my own infinity war segment just to like I'm already planning my day tomorrow of just like being fully awake at 5 a.m. and just refreshing Fandango yeah, because, because tickets are supposed to go on sale tomorrow. We're recording this on, on Thursday the 15th and tickets are supposedly going on sale along with a new trailer tomorrow, which we will not be able to. You won't hear for another two weeks. So we'll reconvene and discuss it then. I'm kind of worried that if nobody's found out what this uh, Easter egg is yet that's been confirmed that nobody, that it's not going to be found, but I don't know if James Gunn spoke it. I don't, I hadn't seen that theory, Chris. I don't know what it is. It's got to be some reference to like a forgotten, like comic pulp magazine from the seventies or something that James Gunn and like three people on Reddit have read. <laughs> um, but those three people, like those three people haven't made it over to the uh, guardian subreddit <laughs> to post about Easter eggs. Chris, what news did you bring? So yeah, this is actually really cool because this is like one of my favorite uh, writers and illustrators, uh, Chip Zdarsky. I think it's Zdarsky. Uh, Zdarsky. Um, that Z really throws it off. Um, he's re- currently writing uh, the Peter Parker, the Spectacular Spider-Man. And it's like easily my favorite Spider-Man book on mm-hmm. the shelves right now. Um, and he signed an exclusive deal with uh, Marvel. It was super cool. Like he, like he's worked on a few books uh like even outside of the big two, uh, he he drew for Sex Criminals mm-hmm. with uh, Mac Fraction, uh, which was just like an absolutely insane concept, and the art was fantastic in that. Um, so yeah, I'm really excited. Yeah, we're not allowed to talk about this as a family. <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. It's like, a family like we podcast. said, twenty one and up. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Sex talk is actually eighteen and up. Here, so. <laughs> um, Chris yeah. says is way is way more fun than Ryan says. Ryan just talks about drinking. <laughs> so yeah, I'm actually I'm just really excited to see like what kind of fun takes he actually takes on. I mean, maybe he take, has serious takes, but he is overall like his his commentary on comic books is typically pretty uh, humorous. So I'm excited to see him continue on and just be exclusive to Marvel and uh, see what he can do there. So the way this works is any creator can be hired by Marvel to work on a, on a comic book uh, for a set amount of time. And if the comic book does well, then they continue to work on it. And if sales dwindle or, or things change at Marvel, then the book will be canceled. And then it's anybody's guess whether or not the creative team will be invited back. In Chip Zdarsky's case, he's been invited on for an exclusive contract, which means that any superheroes he creates will be done through Marvel, which is uh, basically Marvel's way of saying we, we trust you and want you to be a really important part of our vision for the company moving forward. Zdarsky's very, very funny. Do you guys remember those series of comic book covers he did that were the how to draw they were like a parody of how to draw a superhero, but he would always mess them up and they would, <laughs> and they would be covered and they were super funny. Uh, we'll post links to them on the show notes for this episode. Cause it, I don't want to bring like a visual news to it that you can't see, but they're, they're really, really good. I think that it's Marvel has lost some major names over to DC uh, or just out into the ether, out into independent comics in the past few years. Getting Zdarsky is a really big and, and good move for them. I'm excited to see what he does. I don't think he's announced what he's going to do. Yeah, it'll be interesting what they what they turn over to him. I mean, like, like I really loved his Howard the Duck series, so I kind of hope that they let him. Like, it would be cool to see him on a, like a mainline comic, but it would also be cool if they, you know, 
had him do that, but then also kind of let him off the leash in some weird quarters of the universe a little bit too. I think that's what they all like. Every creator who goes to Marvel wants at least one really big book that they can make their mark on, like a Spider-Man or a Fantastic Four or Avengers. But they also want to go somewhere that nobody's gone in a while and do something kind of weird, like a Howard the Duck or some character that we've never heard of, create somebody new. Oh. What about Star Jammers? What about Star Jammers, Ryan? <laughs> <laughs> okay, Chip Zdarsky's Star Jammers would be really good. I would read Chip Zdarsky's anything if he does Star Jammers, then that'll be super exciting. So I want to talk about the big news that just came out a couple hours ago over here uh, that I am really, really excited about, but I understand some hesit- but a little hesitant about. I want to get his takes. Ava DuVernay, fresh off of Wrinkle in Time, is now going to be directing a New Gods movie for DC and Warner Brothers. New Gods, it's kind of an obscure superhero series that was written and drawn by Jack Kirby after Jack Kirby left Marvel, where he had created uh, the Fantastic Four and Captain America. He went over to uh, DC and created the series called New God, which was the series that he'd always really wanted to create. It's very weird sci-fi opera very loosely and, and sometimes not so loosely based on real events. Uh, that's where you find Darkseed, who became a very big Superman villain. Uh, Darkseed at the time was based pretty explicitly on Richard Nixon, who Jack Kirby hated. Uh, he had characters who were based on a Billy Graham, the glorious Godfrey is a villain who he based on the person of Billy Graham, who he also hated. Uh, Jack Kirby hated old authority figures and he loved hippies and youth culture. And he believed that, He was kind of a hippie himself. He believed that love could save the world. He was just kind of a quiet, shy, not super fashionable hippie. So it could be amazing. And some of the characters that he created for New Gods are really amazing. And many of them have endured to modern DC, like Darkseid. And also there's an ongoing series with Mr. Miracle that's being written by Tom King over there right now. Mr. Miracle and Big Barda are two big and really cool, important parts of the series he created. I feel like DC keeps announcing things that are like Lucy holding the football for Charlie Brown. I hate to get excited again for something that... A, may not even ever happen, and and, uh, and B, if it does happen, might not be good. But I trust Ava. Everything that I've heard from Wrinkle in Time has not... I've heard mixed things about Wrinkle in Time. Heard, <laughs> that's true. Yeah, I've heard mixed things about... I haven't seen Wrinkle, so right now all I've got to go off of is the 13th and Selma. And so in my world, I trust Ava. Yeah, I'm just curious what she can do with a bigger budget mm-hmm. uh, movie. There's nothing in me that writes her off. Um, and I haven't even seen the movie yet, but... I do think that it could be a struggle for her, especially with how much like other directors have had struggles doing sure. anything with the DC universe. I trust Ava more than I trust Warner Brothers and DC at this point. Although this would be a movie that would be post Zack Snyder, who will apparently not be as involved moving forward, which could be a, a really good thing for the project. Some say the blessings go up. <laughs> <laughs> That's not how I can. Some do say that. It's not how it goes. We know that. Like, I think this sounds like a really interesting idea. To me, um, I think the risk, and like Tyler, you talked about this, like, is the DC component. And to me, it's less that, like, you know, I I think they're starting to kind of write the ship and, you know, figure out what kind of directors they want and giving them some creative control to do stuff. To me, the bigger risk seems like biting off, like, something like new gods without having any kind of a basis. Cause if you think about like clearly the weirdest movie that Marvel has made is guardians. But by the time guardians came out, they'd already had um, like an Avengers movie. So they already had enough of a, you know, they, they'd had, they built up enough goodwill where it was like, okay, we get, we get captain America, we get Thor, we get uh, iron man. And now we have this weird talking tree. Let's give it a shot. I mean, I hope it's really cool. I think she could do a really good job with it. You know, based on the preview, and again, I haven't seen Rickle in time. I've just heard some mixed things. Um, even based on the preview, I hope that the CGI would look different in uh, New Gods movie than it did in Rickle. Or in that time. it's looked in any other DC movie so far, honestly, because the special effects have not been good. Yeah, but I think, you know, if they can nail that uh, Jack Kirby aesthetic, you know, I, I know there's mixed reactions to Doctor Strange on this podcast, but... Um, I think one thing Dr. Strange did really well was hit it, it was hit those uh, Jack Kirby visuals. Yeah. So if they can match that over at DC, you know, there could that could be really cool. And like it also is just like weird enough that maybe it could be really special and they wouldn't have to, you know, it's free of kind of the burden of trying to shoulder an entire uh, franchise or shared universe on its shoulders. So 
maybe that'll help. I don't know. There does seem to be an attempt over at DC to try to move towards more creator-driven projects, getting really interesting directors and giving them. I know that there's a, that Matthew Reeves, who is coming off of a, a really great Planet of the Apes trilogy, is now working on a Batman movie, which does sound super interesting. I, I love Matt Reeves' work, and I love the Apes trilogy, so I'm really on board with this. And who's working on that Joker movie, that alleged Joker movie? Uh, Hangover Guy. Oh, I don't know. Oh, I can't think of his name. Oh, uh, Todd Phillips. That's right. <laughs> I mean, who knows? Who knows? Todd yeah. Phillips and maybe Joaquin Phoenix on an on an upcoming Joker movie, which would be uh, who knows? There's intriguing ideas that I at least want to see if they even come to fruition. Although right now over at DC, two weeks ago there was a Joss Whedon Batgirl movie in the works that apparently is not happening anymore. So I would say until you've got a trailer in front of you, uh, don't take any news that they put as being written in stone or anything. They're just trying to figure out how to get the ship together. And I do think there's something to say, like, you know, Ava DuVernay, like, turned down Black Panther. Mm -hmm. Um, So it'd be interesting to see what DC told her that Marvel didn't um, to get her to sign on. So maybe she's got kind of the creative freedom to do whatever she wants. I am curious, like, what do you guys think? So there was some, a little bit um, of news coming out of the Wonder Woman camp where Patty Jenkins uh, had confirmed Kristen Wiig was going to play Cheetah. Cheetah, yeah. And then next, I'm just curious, like, what you guys think? Like, I have no real idea of Cheetahs. <laughs> <laughs> like, uh, Cheetah is sort of the closest thing Wonder Woman has to an iconic villain, which is not great because uh, Cheetah is obviously not a household name. She in the comic books has usually been depicted as this very live uh, semi nude, sort of a, uh, an early progenitor of the furry community, I suppose. And I got to say, I did not expect you to go. These are direction. all true. <laughs> these, are, <laughs> these are all true things. I don't think that uh, Kristen Wiig will probably be deployed in that sense. I feel like in order to stick with the aesthetic that they've done for Wonder Woman, that's been very successful, they'll probably have to change what Cheetah is a little bit, which I think is fine. Fortunately for Wonder Woman, so much of her mythology has been changed enough and a lot of people don't have really strong feelings about what her origins are like, what her villains are like, what her characterization is, that Patty Jenkins can be really open with it. So casting somebody like Kristen Wiig gives her an opportunity to uh, try something new and different that we haven't seen before. And I'm excited that Kristen Wiig is getting more roles than just being the funny lady who used to be on SNL because she's a good actress. I think, you know, she could be good. She had a nice, I thought her uh, role in Mother. Um, yeah, was that nice, was really good. Like change of pace for her. Um, so if she can tap into that, because, you know, sometimes I think people who are known for their comedy work have almost a built-in advantage where they can immediately spin the audience's expectations on their head quickly. Because when we see them on screen, we immediately have something in mind that they're going to do. And then the best ones can really play with that. So that could be really cool. Speaking of people who uh, <laughs> who don't have a really strong set background and the TV and the movies and TV shows can do something different with them, let's move to this week's subject. I'd like to talk to you guys about Jessica Jones. As soon as I say that, I feel like that intro music that that bad <laughs> intro music should start playing. <laughs> meatly, meatly, meatly. <laughs> the guitar solo. <laughs> so we were all so the four of us. It, Three of us in Hannah were all watching it last night and we were texting back and forth. And I would say early, I don't think anybody's gotten too far into it yet, but so far our reviews are sort of mixed, let's say. I mean, <laughs> mixed eyes. in the way uh, <laughs> that usually the journalists usually mean it, which is not very good. Man, I was just, like trying to think of like some stupid pun to talk about how sleepy I got there. And I like, <laughs> I'm so bored from thinking about that that I can't like even, yeah, I just like had no interest in this. And I feel like it's like a repetitive thing lately with uh, Netflix shows, but like dialogue acting across the board, it was just like so much more clunky than it, uh, than season one. Season one was super strong. And season one was, was the best that these, this uh, universe has ever gotten. I think. Yeah. I think like comparing that with daredevil season one, like they go side by side for me. But when I like, when I go through what I went through last night, which was six episodes of Jessica Jones rapid fire, I got to episode three and I was like genuinely shocked that I was only on episode three because it just yeah. drags. Yeah. Ryan, same feelings. Yeah. I mean, 
I um, only made it through the first two, partly because I have kids and partly um, and this is something we can talk about, I think, at more length in a minute. But like and partly just because like I don't have time to watch TV that's yeah. not good. And so it's, it was just really tough because it's like I watched two episodes like kind of out of duty because I knew we were going to be talking about it on the podcast. And because frankly, like um, like you said, like the first season, like that was that's been my favorite uh, Netflix show so far um of all the superhero like i remember watching that first one i was on a work trip and i watched that first episode of season one in a hotel room and immediately uh you know there's that scene at the end and if you haven't seen it at this point this is not a spoiler like go watch it um but there's the scene of like of the girl who's under kilgrave's control who like pulls the pistol out and shoots her parents and herself in that elevator and i was just like this is like a, I can't believe that this is like a Marvel thing, and B, like this is incredible. And I was immediately watched like four more right away. Whereas that when I was watching season two, it like to Chris's point, I was just really disappointed that like it doesn't feel like they have any idea of how to move the characters forward. Like Jessica is basically the exact same character, except she is like kind of wrestling with killing Kilgrave, which I think is like interesting, and I think her storyline is for sure the most interesting part. But then everyone else, it's just like, it just feels so rote and on the nose and like network TV, for lack of a better descriptor. Like it honestly just felt like I was watching an NBC made for TV movie and the like the special effects are really bad and the music is really bad and the script is really bad. And so it just adds up to like, like I just didn't understand why I was bothering. You know, it's like everything from a super awkward scene of, uh, the lawyer, what's her name? Hogarth? Carrie Ann Trinity. Yeah. Always. Yeah. You know, everything from a scene of her, like, having this really strange and interactions with prostitutes and it just being incredibly awkward and down to Trish and I'm not sure where that's going. And then, the, like, a wizard and him, like, potentially. And then, like, potentially the worst line of any Marvel show, which is surprising considering Iron Fist is also on Netflix. So it was just like, I don't know, it was just really disappointing. And it sucks that that is what season two ended up being. And, I, you know, I still think, and Tyler, you pointed this out, like, I, I, you know, I think Kristen Ritter is a great actor. I think she does a good job. I think the guy who plays Malcolm is a good actor. Um, but it just doesn't give them very much to do. Um, and I think that's kind of a disappointment. And I do want to focus on that because I was really impressed by Ritter's performance in this, I think even more so than I was in season one. You're right that the script, the dialogue in particular is, is just not very good, but she really finds a way to make it work, which is, a tr- I would love to see what she could do with really good dialogue because uh, it would land even harder. But I was, I was really impressed by her delivering lines with dialogue that seemed to trip up a lot of the other cast members and a lot of her colleagues. So I'm excited for her future. And I would really like to see this show get its grounding and maybe it does. I mean, for all I know, it could turn around later on in the season. I I have seen a few reviews online that say things improve, but kind of like you said, Ryan, there's a lot of great TV out there right now. And sometimes I feel a little guilty about sticking with shows that I'm told to get better because there's a lot of great TV that's good from top to bottom. And I have a finite amount of time to watch TV in my life. I keep reading that if you love character development, you will love this season of, of television. But beyond that, like if you care for about anything else with the story, <laughs> like you will not, you will not really enjoy it. But a lot of the characters I don't, I'm not really interested. Like I, I'm sorry, but I don't really care what happens to Trish. Uh, her her storyline doesn't interest me. Malcolm interests me. Jessica interests me. And Kilgrave interested me a lot. But Kilgrave, obviously. And apparently he will, based on some of the art I've seen, he does show up probably in some sort of flashback situation. And I may stick through to see what happens there. But the dynamic between Jessica and Kilgrave in season one was just so interesting. It just like no other... Uh, antagonistic relationship we'd ever seen in, in not in a superhero television, but any television before this show misses that. I don't want to be careful here. Cause I don't, I don't want to say that like, you know, anything that or anything that like touches on themes of sexual violence is automatically more interesting or layered or something like that. Like most of the time it's handled super poorly. And I think we've kind of talked about that a lot on this podcast, um, you know, killing joke particularly. Um, but I do think like part of it was that it, like dealt pretty openly with a villain who like 
whose predilection was kind of towards sexual violence and sexual manipulation. And especially in a show like featuring a lead character in a, in a show that was, you know, run by a showrunner who's a woman. I think it, I think that really made it stand out to have that interplay and it being talking about those themes that like, you know, no other shows really were discussing or touching on. And it just feels like to go from that to kind of like the villain being like a faceless corporation that's like designing superheroes just feels like such a huge step backwards just in terms of storytelling and creativity, you know, like that's a story I would expect to see on agents of shield, not uh, one of the Netflix shows or, or on daredevil, <laughs> yeah. frankly, with the hand, uh, which was also the worst part of daredevil. So I feel like in their efforts to kind of make these shows more wide vision, um, they lose what made them really interesting, which is the, you know, the character work of Kristen Ritter as Jessica Jones, really digging deep into like what that kind of treatment would do to someone and how that would affect someone. And it just, you know, it it really bums me out that that's the way it went. Let's turn now to Alias, which is the comic book series that Jessica Jones was first introduced in and based off of. It was written in, uh, it will debut, I suppose, in 2001, written by Brian Michael Bendis. Brian Michael Bendis is a name we talked about a lot on this show. His biggest, probably, mark at Marvel was creating Ultimate Spider-Man, which is, uh, Chris, one of your favorite series and one of the best Spider-Man series you could ever read. It's, It's very, very good. And then... He, in a line, a, a short-lived line called Marvel Max, which, <laughs> speaking of 21 and up, was intended to be Marvel's, like, edgy, adults-only superhero comic books. And most of it was very bad. But one of the characters was this new character, Jessica Jones, who Bendis had introduced. And it followed fairly closely what the first season of Jessica Jones, the TV show is like it introduced Kilgrave as the purple man. It didn't introduce, it did not introduce him. He had already been around, but it used him and it showed him doing some very horrifying things. Ryan, have you read alias? Yeah, I've read alias. Um, and it's like really good. I think just the psychology that Bendis delves into and not, and I, and I think, you know, ultimate Spider-Man obviously is like his biggest kind of contribution to Marvel probably. But I think, you know, uh, Jessica Jones reminds me a lot more of his run on Daredevil, um, which kind of equally plums the depth of kind of the cost of being a hero, basically. And, you know, looks into the psychology of what uh, these villains are doing to the heroes, basically. And, I, you know, I think he does that super well in Alias. And I think having writing for an imprint that allowed him to get into some more mature themes um so sometimes it almost verges on parody it really like, does you know there are moments where it's like oh he really likes to like swear so like and he can do it now this is bad um but for the most part it's used pretty well and i you know i think it's much more violent there's a lot more sex and um nudity but for the most part i don't feel like those things are exploitative in the comic and i think end up being used to tell a really powerful story um purple man among them for sure it's hard to introduce a new character at marvel because so many of the most popular characters are these legacy characters like spider-man like daredevil like the fantastic four and marvel and we i believe talked about this a little bit marvel has not done a good job of incentivizing its creators to come out and create somebody who's new and interesting which is why so often you fall back to people like the x-men a, because they're, it's more fun to work with characters that you grew up reading about, and B, just because a lot of these creators, they are not allowed to uh, retain the rights to their creations at Marvel. So if you come up with a new, very popular character while you're there, then it's you don't get a say in what happens to it, and you don't get the profits off of that character. So that's unfortunate. But Brian Michael Bendis did create Jessica Jones. She was one of the few actually successful new characters who were introduced in the 2000s. And I think it was largely because in this Marvel Max imprint, which for the most part was used just to add more swearing, more sex and more violence to comics in in not interesting ways. But in the case of what was called Alias, uh, which starred Jessica Jones, was used to actually talk about PTSD and the trauma that is faced by people, in this case, particularly women who survive sexual violence and how they continue to continue to live and operate in the world. 
I think that Bendis did that pretty well. It is a little bit complicated for a guy to tell a story like that. And I think that this is a part where it'd be really great to have Hannah on the podcast. I don't want to speak out of turn here, but, but I'm glad that the first, I'm glad that both seasons of the TV show have let the narrative been driven by women because it is such a, what happened to Jessica Jones and her story, whether or not the execution is on, however good the execution is, uh, which has taken a step down in season two, what's happening is still a story that needs to be told by women and that is often not told by women and has been told by men too often as we'll see a little bit in our flashback to jessica jones creation here back in 2001 it was a wild time to be brian michael bendis it had only been a year since the one-time independent noir comics writer had been hired by marvel to start a whole new line of spider-man comics starting all the way back with peter parker's origin in high school It was called Ultimate Spider-Man, and it was a runaway hit, the closest thing Marvel had had to a real bona fide success in ages. Marvel had struggled to stay relevant through the 90s, with many of its heroes veering off into being absurdly grim and edgy. Bendis' genius was to take Spider-Man back to his roots and try to appeal to a new generation of teenagers who might be interested in reading a little bit more about Spider-Man after watching the Tobey Maguire movie, but didn't want to wade into several decades of lore and backstory. Bendis' success meant that Marvel was prepared to offer him just about anything, and one of his first projects was a new story about Spider-Woman, an often forgotten character who has powers a lot like Peter Parker's, but is generally depicted as a bit more of a super spy, like the Black Widow. Bendis was helping launch a new Marvel Comics line called Marvel Max that would aim for an older, more mature audience in the same way that Ultimate Spider-Man had skewed younger. He figured Spider-Woman would be as good a hero as any for the new series. Bendis started writing his new Spider-Woman story called Alias, but something wasn't quite right. The story he wanted to tell just didn't feel like a Spider-Woman story. In fact, it didn't really feel like it would work for any existing character in the Marvel canon. So Bendis created a new one. He created Jessica Jones. In the comics, Jessica Jones is actually Jessica Campbell, a girl whose dad is employed by Stark Industries, or was until her whole family was killed in a car accident. At this point, it's worth noting that the second season of the Jessica Jones Netflix series borrows from this story a little, so some of this might be considered spoilery if you haven't read it yet. She's whisked off to a secret lab, experimented on, and comes out with some limited super strength and, in the comics, a limited ability to fly. That's pretty standard superhero stuff, and so is what comes next. After an encounter with Spider-Man inspires her to become a hero, she creates a costume, starts calling herself Jewel, and sets off on a fairly unremarkable superhero career. This is the first new idea in Bendis' Alias series, the idea that someone might decide to become a hero and just not be very good at it. Jewel flies from uneventful fight to uneventful fight until she tries to stop Zebediah Kilgrave, the Purple Man. As you're probably aware from the television series, Kilgrave has the ability to make anyone do whatever he wants them to do, putting him on the short list of most terrifying villains on Marvel's Earth. When Jessica attacks him, she promptly falls under his command, and she stays that way for eight months, acting as his personal muscle and, as was heavily implied, other more horrifying abuses. Given that Marvel's Max line was intended to push boundaries, it's to the creator's credit that they didn't get more lurid with the subject matters than they did. Mainstream comics have rarely shied away from depictions of violence and even torture, but sexual violence, particularly against women, has generally been considered a taboo. In an industry as dominated by men as comics, that's probably for the best. The series didn't handle the assault survivor metaphor as skillfully as it could have, The show, which was a female-led production, made some real improvements, but it wasn't terrible. Jessica is eventually rescued by the Avengers and starts her own detective agency, where she becomes the hard-boiled, tough-as-nails private investigator she's famous as today. But she also spends a lot of time self-medicating to deal with the psychological after-effects. It wasn't just the extended period of psychological trauma, but also the realization that in her eight-month-long kidnapping ordeal, nobody missed her. In the time since Alias, Jessica Jones has gotten married to Luke Cage and become a mother. In addition to being a PI, she's also been the Daily Bugle's superhero consultant, a member of the Defenders, a costumed hero named Power Woman, and even an Avenger. But she's always been at her best when she returns to her roots. The temptation with a character like Jessica is to tether her to her trauma, never letting her grow beyond what happened. 
But there's another temptation, which is to write Jessica as if the trauma never existed. It's in the past. Fortunately, the character has largely existed somewhere in the middle, not defined by what happened, but still shaped by it. She's a superhero who knows what it's like to need to be rescued. And if that makes her a little more standoffish than Captain America or Superman, it also gives her a level of empathy that some of these other godlike heroes lack. We can't really relate to the plight of a man who's the last surviving member of a superpowered race of Kryptonians, but what happened to Jessica happens to people all over the world every day. In the Marvel Universe, most characters don't actually need a reason to be a hero. It's generally assumed that anyone who comes into some special powers will put on a costume and either start fighting crime or committing it. But by being a little bit below all that, Jessica Jones is actually above it. She never feels quite at home with the bright costumes or alternate realities because she's her own character, one of a kind, and she created a whole new type of superhero, one who was barely a superhero, but who still brings something fresh to the entire genre. We now have the second season of Jessica Jones. I think that there has been an announced season two of The Punisher and there is probably going to be at least another season of uh, Luke Cage is filming right now and Daredevil is in the works. Where are we at on the Netflix verse? What do you guys think? Mm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, I remember being so excited yeah. coming off of Daredevil season one. My wife and I both binged it together and we, we were captivated. We loved it. And then Jessica Jones, was it Daredevil season two came first and then Jessica Jones season one? I can't remember. They were right yeah, close I can't remember. It was close together. I can't remember which order anyway, it came in, but anyway, it was close. Daredevil season two was good in its own right for what it was. But yeah, I remember when Jessica Jones season one came out, like that was like that took over. Like that took over as our best, our favorite show. And then since then, since those like three seasons, like, it's really dropped off Things in quality, yeah. and I don't yeah. and I don't understand how it actually has dropped off as much as it has. Uh, just because there is there is a formula to telling a good story and like making good television these days that it feels almost baffling to me that like something can be so boring and bad. <laughs> especially when they've proven they know how to do this yeah they, that they've yeah. got that the blueprint is there people they have people on board who know how to figure this out iron fist is a great example of just like me realizing like they have great source material to pull from and they just butcher it they took mm. one of my favorite storylines from iron fist uh from the matt fraction run and oh, that was just so disappointing yeah in an episode they took 20 issues crammed it all together and pooped all over it why would they why would they do like when the material is right there for a great iron fist show and to take one look at a very well-known well-regarded iron fist run written by matt fraction and to say no i think we can do better and then to just not do better at all that was super disappointing Luke Cage was a show that was just sort of a, it was a step down in quality, some interesting moments, some strong starts, some really good performances across the board, but it, it just sort of ran out of steam and ended up being sort of, I would just say by the end, silly. It was sort of silly at the end. And then Defenders, I thought was sort of, was something that I kind of liked and then liked less as it went along. Although mercifully there were only eight episodes, so it couldn't get that bad. And then did either of you watch the Punisher? I haven't. I've only seen a couple of the episodes, but I, I liked that a lot. Punisher was actually a, a return to form in a lot of ways. It was, it, it didn't get as much press and it, they didn't push it as hard. I think probably because of the implication, it's a show that's about gun violence, about a protagonist who uses guns, obviously a very dicey show to push right now, given the, the national climate, but the, the show is not what I expected at all. It's not about this, look at this cool badass and how he shoots all the bad guys. It, it really delved into the, the trauma of somebody who has used violence a lot in the past and, and how, it, how much it alienates you from the rest of society. And it did it in very intelligent ways. It made me excited for another episode, for another season of the Punisher, who is a character who traditionally I've had pretty much zero interest in, but it's sort of the one bright spot right now out of a series that just seems like it's, sort of lost its way and, and doesn't really, it's just sort of boring. I've been thinking a lot about this 
over the last few days watching Jessica Jones and, you know, trying to figure out why it doesn't like why it didn't grab me and why it's not as interesting. And the same with Luke Cage. I didn't even, um, I like had a newborn when Iron Fist came out. So thankfully I had an excuse to just avoid it completely. But I think looking back at trying and trying to figure out like what those season, like first seasons had in common that I loved so much. And even the second season of Daredevil is like, they did a really good job with the villains um, and so it actually made for really interesting interplay between the hero, because generally I think they've done a good job, with the exception of Iron Fist, um, casting the heroes of the show. So at least you have like a good person kind of in your title role. So that made like Vincent D'Onofrio was far and away the best part of season one of Daredevil. Incredible in it the whole time. And so that made the interplay between him and Matt so much more interesting and the same with Kilgrave and Jessica, you know, just their constant battle back and forth was so interesting. Um, and then I think the Punisher as the villain in uh, season two of Daredevil, I think that show got a lot less interesting when the hands became the bad guy as opposed to the Punisher. It was a marked difference. And even I would say Luke Cage had for the first half of the season, Mahershala Ali as Cottonmouth and Ali is just great anyways. And their, their interactions were terrific. And then they killed him off and replaced him with a couple different villains, just none of whom were nearly as well. They replaced him with shades. The, <laughs> the worst thing that has ever been committed to one of these shows, any Netflix show, possibly any TV show. I'm really sad that like Ollie was kind of wasted in that role. He was wasted in the Marvel universe. Like yeah. now, now Mahershala Ali is a really big deal. And uh, the only thing Marvel got out of him was three episodes on a TV show that I'm in spite of myself, kind of interested to see what Luke Cage season two looks like. I feel like there was enough potential there in that first season that they could find a way to really accentuate what worked, do less of what didn't and and maybe have a good second season. I'd be interested in seeing it daredevil as well. Like right now I would say there's one and a half really good seasons of daredevil. So if they figure out how to do that and they, one thing they haven't done with daredevil yet at all is bring in one of his most iconic villains, bullseye who there's a ton of great opportunities there for a really good, interesting villain. I think Netflix could figure this out and get things back on track. But right now it's just really, really wobbly. Well, I think it's really interesting that like the stuff that we've liked, and I think most critics have liked the most have been the characters that kind of yeah. lend themselves to this sort of, I think they called them street level heroes. You know, that was kind of their initial marketing pitch. And like the ones that have worked the most are daredevil. Cause like all of his comics are street level. Chris, it's interesting you talk about source material because it's like Iron Fist is like a terrible choice for that because like Iron Fist should be literally punching the hearts out of dragons and eating them. And that would be awesome. But like instead we get this kind of sad sack rich boy who basically is like a B tier Batman who like doesn't really know what he's doing. And it just makes all the mythology around it so much less interesting. And then I think like Luke Cage has always been he's been more on that kind of neighborhood level, but it's always been sort of through this lens of um, like black exploitation movies and has a little bit of a, a sense of humor. And I don't mean like to make it sound like you laugh at him or anything like that, but more just like there's always a little bit of tongue in cheek. There's a lot more humor in the Luke Cage comics and uh, some of the other ones, but then to try to like fit that into this kind of universe I just think makes for a really uncomfortable thing. And then with Jessica Jones, she just doesn't have that many comics to choose from. So I just wonder if they ran out of material. And she's only a superhero in the sense that she's really in a Marvel comic. There's nothing about her that you would say she, and she has powers and they do. I mean, in one of the, I think brighter, better moments of season two, of Jessica Jones, they make, she gets really mad when anybody calls her a superhero. Who would you guys want to, if they were going to introduce somebody else into this Netflix verse, do another show, who would you add to try to maybe put a little spark back into it? I feel like it would have to be somebody who isn't like really heavily reliant on um, special effects. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But on the street, on the street level side, my excitement immediately goes to Miss Marvel. Oh, interesting. Miss Marvel. Yeah. Kamala. Like I would, I would just, I mean, it's still in the same like New York universe. So uh-huh. it's just like, I feel like it would be a really interesting look into a Muslim teenage girl. And they can make it fun. Like they, they could, could do these shows yeah. need, they need to brighten up somehow. Yeah. It's just gets so dour. I mean, in my mind, and again, I think, you know, this is tricky with special effects. Uh-huh. Like Chris said, 
to me, the most obvious character would be Moon Knight. Um, like it's it's very violent. It plays with the idea of what reality is in a really interesting way. Basically, it's like a hyper violent Batman, which is what uh, Iron Fist like wanted to be, except it sucked. So I, you know, I I think if they could if they could figure out a way to do that well, um, but again, the problem is the special effects because. You know, Moon Knight obviously has a long, flowy cape and thinks he's talking to an Egyptian god the whole time. So, you know, I, I think that could work. I think one of the other things that could be interesting is, um, and again, the problem is, is that Marvel doesn't have the rights to these. Is like, I think Black Cat could be good if they wanted to do a Sinister Six movie. Instead, they could do a Sinister Six show, and I think that could be a lot more interesting. I think it's just difficult to really do, really tell the kind of stories that they want to tell. Um, if they're not going to be able to do, they're not going to be able to have good special effects or delve outside of their storytelling beats as much as they have been unwilling to. Oh, one more. I also think um, Ghost Rider could be really good, but if they don't make that look good, it's going to be terrible. They brought Ghost Rider in over at Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and the special effects actually, they dumped enough money into the budget to make it work, but it, he seems like a much more natural fit for the universe they're putting together. On the Netflix shows. I think that Shang-Chi is another, he's a Kung Fu based character, would need a lot of special effects and, and would be interesting to follow. And if you were going to do a spinoff, then it seems like there's, there's a lot of material there with Misty Knight, uh, who also has her own comic book run and she becomes a, a superhero in her own right in the comic books. And I, I liked her presence in the Luke Cage. I thought she was one of the better parts of Luke Cage. I would be interested in seeing where they went with that but the fact that they haven't announced uh spinoff yet where they got right to announcing spinoffs for people like the punisher and luke cage after their appearances doesn't put a lot of uh doesn't put a lot of optimism that they i i don't i think that they also feel over at netflix like maybe the time of these shows is running out because some of the announcements have dwindled a little bit well i'm sure you know just the on the business side I think everyone's kind of waiting to see what this new Disney streaming service is going to mean. Uh, for them. Yeah, <laughs> right. Supposedly Disney is starting its own streaming service to compete with Netflix. That'll be exclusively Disney shows. So that would mean that all the Marvel show, the Marvel movies and the Marvel, presumably Marvel TV shows would be exclusively available on there instead of on Netflix. That could look like a lot of different things. Uh, so we'll have to rate, I guess, I don't think anybody knows right now. I don't think anybody knows a whole lot about the future of the Marvel universe right now. And either the TV shows or the movies. One thing that always disappointed me too. And I think this is where we're starting to see the series become a little long in the tooth is when they first started, we were told that they were kind of this, you know, little alleyway that was part of this huge canvas of, uh, the Marvel universe that they were, you know, telling mm-hmm. these stories across small screen and big screen and, you know, that eventually we were going to get this payoff where everyone was all together. And I think as things have gone on, these shows have had to carry their own weight. And I think that's been really tough um, to carry its own, their own weight as superheroes. Yeah. When, like, you know, the, you know, the quote unquote real superheroes are, you know, showing at the theater down the street. Um, and there's never any chance of, of cooperation. Cause, cause I think like one of the things that I think makes Jessica Jones as a character really special is how easily she fits into the broader Marvel universe. Like, you know, she moved right in from uh, Pulse, which was a series after Alias. You know, she moved right into being married to Luke Cage, and then they're part of Secret Avengers, which was part of, you know, Secret Invasion that led to uh, the death of Captain America series and Civil War and all that stuff. And she's like a really great character in that. Um, But I think it kind of kneecaps the series to say like, okay, you guys can have this part of it, but not the rest. Um, so you can't talk about any of the rest of the things going on in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And it makes it feel very fun in the comics to when you see somebody like Daredevil interact with the Avengers or even with somebody like the Silver Surfer, because you you do get the sense that these things could take place on a very small street level and then occasionally open up to these galactic interdimensional battles. And it's very fun to do that. And, that's, and Jessica Jones is a great example of that. And so is Luke Cage. And they interact with Spider-Man who interacts with Captain America. And one of yeah. the great successes of these comics is how believably they're all part of the same huge universe that can be used for really big wars or really small intimate drama and just by nature of the different media genres that the Netflix shows and the movies are taking place in, we're not going to be able to see as much of that. Even though I think with 
things like ABC's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., the Agent Carter series that was over at ABC, and the Netflix shows. That was part of the idea originally. It just hasn't really worked out because it's hard to do that. It's tough. It's complicated. Yeah. It is hard. And I think that that like, can kind of contribute to the overall fatigue that I think a lot of people feel. Uh, and I think it contributes to a lot of the disinterest that people mm-hmm. feel towards these shows now. Mm-hmm. I know, like, as you were saying that, like, I definitely, I definitely agree. Like, I don't feel this uh, need to actually uh, watch every single second of every single show now that I felt when I was watching uh, Daredevil season one. Mm-hmm. You know, like, I always, I, I originally thought that this was all going to tie together a lot more than it has. <laughs> the closest they got was finding funny names for the, like uh, <laughs> how they the refer to the rest of the, uh, the patriotic fellow and the, the, the metal man down the street. So I think we all know they're whatever. So I was really excited when these shows came out. Daredevil, as we've talked about, is like my favorite of Marvel's characters. And I'm really glad that the show worked out and I hope they write the ship or at least put it out of its misery before things go too far South. Cause uh, there's a lot of material there and it's not too late for them to, to shut everything down and try again in a few years. And I do want to put in a plug, like if you haven't read Alias, don't let our hesitation about the second season of Jessica Jones distract you or like, you know, sway you from not reading. It's it. a great, it's series. really great. As long as you're over 18, uh, <laughs> it's a really great, it's a really great series. And um, I think Brian Michael Dendis does a really great job with characterization. The villains are really good. The art's really good. Um, it's definitely worth picking up and, you know, it's on sale on Comixology all the time. So it's definitely worth mm-hmm. giving a read if you can find it. And then if you want to check out some of her other work, like I mentioned, I really love the stuff that they did with her in Secret Avengers um, during the Secret Invasion storyline in the um, Civil War. And uh, I always try to put links to everything that we recommend on this show in the episode notes for the, on our uh, Apple Podcasts page. So feel free to look in there and you'll be able to find an easy link to the Comixology page. And I don't even get any money from Comixology for saying that. I'm just a fan. And with that, I think that'll wrap it up. Thanks for listening to Cape Town. If you like what you heard, uh, please go over to the Apple Podcast page and give us a positive review. Feel free to subscribe. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter at Cape Town Pod. We're also on Facebook at Cape Town Pod. And I think those are the only two social medias that we've really like delved into so far. You can also send us an email at capetownpod at gmail.com. Many thanks to CM Studios, Chad Jesse over there, the ones who handle all the editing on this. We appreciate their help. And that will do it for us this week. I'm Tyler Huckabee. I'm Chris Youngblood. And I'm Ryan Ham. Hannah Mazzell passes along her best wishes. We'll talk to you guys next time. Thanks. Bye.